Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you today. Thankful that you're here. Somebody left some keys up here. It's good to see everybody. I know I've uh, slowed down a little bit, and I told you I wasn't going to do that. (laughs) So first, I have to ask for forgiveness. But I believe it's necessary because I believe in this section it, it is, is the heart of the entire letter. And ultimately, the truths that are revealed in this section are going to go all the way through the letter. And you really need to understand this section in order to understand the rest of the letter and ultimately how to live for Christ. I would argue that what we're learning in this one section is... Uh, For lack of a better term, the most important thing, I know you you hear these things all the time, but this is one of the more important truths for us to understand as Christians, as followers of Christ. It is the basis of all we do. It's, It's how we do what we do. It's who we worship and who we serve. It's a glimpse of Christ's glory and what we're all about. So, this central theme that's revealed in this section is the power of God on display in the sovereign rulership of Christ Jesus, showing God's power in establishing Christ as Lord and as the ruler of all things. This display of God's power was introduced in the specifics of the prayer found in verse 18 and 19 where Paul was praying for them to understand truths. And he he first started with an understanding of who God is, and then he begins to tell them what they need to understand about what God has done and the power of God. And he gives specifics. In verse 18, notice it states, uh, the specifics are, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His glory The hope of His glory, you see it? The hope of His glory, or the hope of His calling, rather. And what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe? The surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. So Paul prayed for them to understand in their hearts, to get it, to comprehend, to know what is the hope of His calling, What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance? And what is the surpassing greatness of God's power towards the believers? God's power towards us who believe. We saw that God's power is incalculable or far beyond comprehension. Paul says God's power is incalculably great. The Spirit actually began to answer Paul's prayer For the believer's explanation and understanding of God's power, the Spirit answers it by Paul now telling what that power is. And he begins to explain what that power is that God has done in Christ towards us. As Paul wrote further in the letter, the power of El Shaddai, God Almighty, is revealed. And that's what we're going to see throughout the rest of this section is the power of God. Notice it's not the power of us. It's not the power of man. 
That's weak. But the power of God. So why is it important for us to know the power of God at work in Christ? Because this is the mighty strength of God that is available to us who believe. This power is available to every one of us. I read an article the other day comparing the top ten military powers. Maybe some of you saw it. It was comforting knowing that our military in the United States appears to be much stronger than every other nation in the world. In fact, it appears to be stronger than all the countries that oppose us combined. Praise God, right? Thankful for that. We have more planes, more armored vehicles, more ships, and an enormous fighting force. There's comfort in this, to a degree. But beloved, this army is like a gnat compared to the angelic warriors. The greatest army in the world that's ever been seen is like a gnat compared to God and His power. You realize one angel killed 185,000 men in one night. I'm fairly sure all God has to do, all El Shaddai has to do is speak one word and our entire army is gone. Do you realize that? $750 billion spent a year would go up like smoke. Boom. Gone. All he has to do is say, done. And every ship would sink. Every tank would stop running. And every airplane would dive to the ground. Like that. He is El Shaddai, God Almighty. And this power, El Shaddai's power, is shown towards us in Christ. If you don't walk out of here on clouds, you have missed the point of the message. Our God's power is abundantly able to do all that we ask or think. This is why we need to know His power so we will trust Him. Trust Him. The pinnacle, the foundation, the seat of authority of the working of the strength of God's might is found in verses 20 to 23. That's why this is so important. 20 to 23. God's mighty power at work in Christ. All other displays of God's power towards us who believe flow from this great manifestation of the strength of God. The power of the cross, the power of the resurrection, the power of the ascension, all of that is the foundation of the power of God working in us and creating in us holy and righteous people for His glory. That's a great power. So notice again in verses 20 to 23 which he worked about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, which is his body, The fullness of him who fills all in all. I don't know why it's repeated there, but you get the gist. 
It should be repeated, actually. It's an amazing truth. Let's look at this passage. Let's look at how this unfolds. God's power in Christ towards us who believe. God's power in Christ towards us who believe. We talked about how there's three displays of God's power revealed in Christ in this passage. We see first that God's work in Christ through the resurrection and ascension. Then second, we see God's subjection of all things under Christ's feet. And then finally, we see God's gifting of Christ as head to the church in the final couple verses. Let's start with God's work in Christ through the resurrection and ascension. Again, look at verse 20. Which he brought about in Christ, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right, his right hand in heavenly places. That's what the NASB says, the New American Standard. Notice the, however, I believe this should be better translated as I have it down there in the second little phrase there. Which he worked in Christ by raising him from the dead, by seating him at the right hand in heavenly places. Notice the play on words from the previous verse, where according to the working of the strength of his might, which he worked in Christ, the place of his power, his work is found in Christ. And so how did God work the strength of his might? He did it by raising Jesus from the dead. He showed his power. He displayed his power. Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. And by Jesus... By seating Jesus at God's right hand in heavenly places. This was God's working power on display, the strength of His might. God raised the crucified Jesus from the dead. God took the resurrected Son up to heaven. God seated Jesus at the right hand in heaven. So Jesus is presently seated on the authority throne in heaven. He is presently ruling and reigning from heaven right now. Now, admittedly, there is still a day to come when Jesus will return and finish the reconciliation of the planet and his people and judge the world. That's coming. That's a day in the future. But presently, he is already seated on his throne in heaven. Right now, Jesus rules in the midst and despite the wicked rule of Satan on earth. Now, I admit to you, as, I, as you look through the Old Testament, you see this undercurrent, especially in books like Esther and Ruth, where God is working sovereignly, but you don't even hear his name mentioned as much. Just very little bit. But God is still working. God was still working and God is still presently working. And in the new covenant age, during this time, God is still working. He's working in a world, though, that is still led by the prince of the power of the air. By the ruler or the God of this world, as 2 Corinthians states. So Christ, in his position of rulership, is ruling in this world despite all of those other things going on and all those other ruling influences. Somewhat like what you would see in an Esther for such a time as this. So God works. Remember, I love that story, right? Where it kind of turns around and, and the one that was trying to kill Mordecai dies under his own gallows. 
It's, it's, it's the twist of God's sovereign work and how He works in a way that you just don't see it. Nobody in the book knows that the ending's coming the way it's coming. As you're reading it, you're thinking, no, they're going to die. They're all going to die. All the Jews are going to die. And then the enemies of God die. And He turns it upside down. Today, God, through Christ, because Christ is in that seat of authority, Christ is ruling on this earth that way. He's sovereign ruler. Notice it states, Paul points to God's power has worked to establish Jesus' reign, and Jesus is far above, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Friends, this means Jesus is over everything, every visible thing and every invisible thing. He is over all the spiritual realm and all the physical realm. Jesus is the ultimate authority over everyone who has a name, literally every living being. Angels, demons, seraphim, cherubim, humans, kings, servants, masters, husbands, wives, single people, small, large, rich, poor, young, old. Jesus is Lord over them all. He's sovereign over them all. That's that's great news. That is great news. Notice it says Jesus is over everyone and everything in this age and the age to come. Which means probably the millennium. At the millennium, Jesus will rule on earth as king. That will be a great day, won't it? And then there's the new heavens and the new earth. Guess who rules there? Jesus too. Because he rules. (laughs) He reigns. All because of God's established power that he predetermined before the foundation of the world that the Son of God would be preeminent over all. Good, isn't it? Psalm 8 that we read, it's a very intriguing passage. Is it talking about humanity or is it talking talking about Jesus? Yes. Yes. See, it's Jesus is the ultimate human. He was the one and the only one that could do all that God required. And Christ is the one who is seated and all everything's put under His feet. But the wild thing about this is that Christ is redeeming a people, humans, that will ultimately fulfill all that Psalm 8 talks about because we are seated with Him in heavenly places and we will rule and reign with Him. And I think that's looking to the millennium eventually. Well, we will rule and reign perfectly. And the lion will lay down with the lamb and the child will play by the cobra hole. No children play by cobra holes here. Not if you're wise. The day is coming. Why? Because Jesus is king. And God's power has established that. The God-man has the position of authority. He is just waiting till the time ordained by the Father to return to earth and establish his kingdom on earth. He's the exalted one waiting till the right moment for his return. So let's look at the next. We went over most of that last week, but the next display of God's mighty power at work in Christ. God's subjection, God's 
subjection of all things under Christ's feet. Notice it says in verse 22, And he, that is God, put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, at this point you're probably thinking, well, Mike, didn't you just say that? Well, yes, the wild thing is is that all three of these displays are just different angles at looking at the same truth about Christ's sovereignty and the power of God in display and, and putting Christ in that position. It's just a different angle looking at the same truths, okay? But it, it el- adds elements to it that we need to understand and think on and meditate and take to heart. Because remember, he's not just using words for the sake of using words. He's giving a full explanation of Christ's sovereign authority and power that God has done. And why does he do it? Because he wants them to know God's power towards them. When I repeat myself, when the scriptures repeat themselves, why does God repeat himself? And why does he want me to repeat myself? Because I'm just saying what he said again. He wants you to know it better. That's the whole point. The more you understand this, the more you know this, the more you're what? Prepared. Oh, beloved, faith comes by knowing Him. When we know Him, we then do what? We trust Him. If we understand the power and the sovereignty of God displayed in Christ, then our obedience to Him becomes what? Automatic. As we trust in Him. So think on this. Jesus is presently king over everything in the heavenly places. I admit not everyone acknowledges Jesus' sovereign authority over them presently. Is that not true? How many people in the world do you think believe and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord? The answer to that is a very small amount of people. Most of the people in the world would never acknowledge this. But it does not change the fact that it is still true. (laughs) This is the irony of the whole thing. When an atheist says, there is no God, it does not change the fact that there is a God. He's still in control of them. The irony is, is that they say, there is no evidence of him, but yet he screams the evidence and shows them the evidence all the time. Because every breath they take is given from him. They breathe. They live, they survive in the world because he keeps them alive. Because he's in control of all things. And this is a present reality even if they don't acknowledge it. Friends, nothing ultimately happens outside Jesus' sovereign rule. Yes, humanity's sinful. And sin is running rampant on the earth. And we all know this is true, don't we? But Jesus is still sovereign over all of it. Evil does not occur without Jesus allowing it. That's hard to hear. I know some of you are like, really? This is what it says. He put all things under his feet. The demons don't do anything unless he knows it and allows it. Jesus is not, listen closely, Jesus is not responsible for evil. He's not responsible for it. 
But evil does not act without his sovereign awareness. Jesus knows every bad thing that happens to you, every evil event that happens to you. Do you understand that he allows those things to happen to you? Why do we have to know this? It's crucial. It's crucial. It's the only way you survive in it. To know and trust that he is still in control of it. Otherwise you're a disaster. We all should run around going, oh, I I can't do this. This is impossible. Now I know there's many questions in some of your minds. You're saying, why does he allow this? (laughs) Why doesn't he stop it? Why does he allow Satan to work in the sons of disobedience? Why is there so many unbelievers in this world? Why is apostasy happening all the time? Why is it that my favorite Christian speakers are going away at times from the faith? Why is it that it's unfolding the way it's unfolding? Why is it this way? Answer? Because he's God and he's the Lord and he's working. Even when we don't understand it. Just like Esther. The answer to this question is not given in this passage. It just tells us he's in control of it. Do you understand that every every single part of that coronavirus, none of those things go anywhere it's not supposed to be ordained by Christ? He controls every single one. Every little molecule, every little... It's all under His complete control. You do not get cancer outside of His sovereign will. You understand that? Nothing is outside of Him because it's all put under His feet. Notice with me. Look over at Ephesians 3.1. Ephesians 3.1. Who's speaking? Who's writing this letter? Paul. Where is Paul? Prison. Who put him in prison? Let's see. Come on, say it loud. Who put him in prison? Oh, some of you got it. Who put him in prison? The Romans. Who put him in prison? Jesus. Now you're getting it. Okay, we'll try again. Who put him in prison? The Romans. Who put him in prison? Oh, come on. Y'all are just arguing with me. Look at it. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. For the sake of you Gentiles. Who did it? Ultimately, Christ did it. Ultimately, sovereign control. He didn't say it once. He says it twice. Look, Ephesians 4, 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, did it again, implore you, To walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. The prisoner of who? The Lord. Who's standing next to him? 
a Roman soldier. And it's the perfect illustration at the end of Romans, or at the end of Ephesians chapter 6, when he puts, says, put on the full armor of God. It's so amazing. So in reality, he looks at the Roman soldier and says, I'm going to steal from this world and illustrate it with the real world. The reality. He does that in Ephesians 5, by the way, too, with marriage. Paul was released from prison, from this imprisonment, but then arrested again shortly thereafter. And Paul writes a letter to Timothy. Guess where Timothy is, by the way, when he writes this letter, most likely. Ephesus, same place this church got this letter. The first imprisonment, second imprisonment, Paul writes again to Timothy, that's then read to the churches. Very interesting, look at this. At the end of his life, Paul writes 2 Timothy, and he says these words, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Wow, do you see it? What's repeated here? Power. The power of God. Suffer according to the power of God? Huh. Whose prisoner is he? Christ. Who's really seated on the throne? Christ. How do we do how do we survive this? By the power of God. Christ puts us in these circumstances that are absolutely impossible, and we do what? We rely on the power of God to them what? Endure, persevere, trust, obey. Isn't this beautiful? Wasn't Paul a prisoner of Rome? Yes. Wasn't the Roman guarding him? Yes. But who had him there? King Jesus. The Lord. The Lord was the ultimate cause for his imprisonment, and it's the ultimate cause for everything that happens to us. Everything. If you're single, you're single because of God. If you're married, you're married because of Christ. Right? If you're married to an unbeliever, you're married to the unbeliever because of Christ? Wait. That makes him responsible for my foolishness. Hold on, hold on, hold on. He works in and through our sin to still accomplish his will. There are make no mistakes ultimately in God's economy, in Christ's economy. He's working. We're still responsible for our sin, right? And we say what? I did it. But I trust you to help me walk through it. I know I just put you in some really hard. Y'all are really thinking now, aren't you? Like, ooh, this, the implications of this are pretty intense. That's where you got to be. That's where he wants you to be. 
He wants you to see you need him. Oh, dear ones, the Lord Jesus is working all things together for his own glory and our good. You know this. The truth doesn't cause us to fall into fatalism. It actually causes us to need him and depend upon him more. If we know he's sovereign, then we know he's powerful enough to do what? Work through us to obey him and worship him. That's why we abide in him always. We look to Him and we're filled by Him because He is sovereign. That wouldn't be possible if Christ wasn't sovereign. You could not be controlled by the Spirit if Jesus did not die and rise from the dead and is seated on the throne. Why? Because He sent the Spirit and the Spirit does what the Son says to do in His own church, the body. These are wild thoughts. These are deep things. I know they're deep. But you've got to think on them. You need to know it. I hope I didn't say anything. Some of y'all are looking at me like, really? Finally, notice the last de- display of God's surpassing greatness. Look at it. Number three, God's gifting of Christ as head to the church. And He gave Him as head over all things. To the church. That says the same thing. What's the head? The head is the Lord. The head is the sovereign over the body. That's what it's implied by head. It's the one that's in control of the body. Jesus' position is a gift from God. His position as head over the church, the sovereign authority over the church, is given by who? God. God gave it to the church. This is great news for us. It means He's sovereign over our lives. He's sovereign over everything that happens to us. Nothing happens outside of His will. That's good news, isn't it? He's head of the church. But notice that little phrase that says, as head over all things to the church. Over all things to the church. Why is this important? Well, because, beloved, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I often think in, 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 in distinctions. I, I think like this. I think, okay, well, Jesus is sovereign over me, but what about that loser over there? What about this event that comes into my life? Is he sovereign over that? I know you got me. I know I can't go anywhere else. But he's sovereign over all things and he's given to us who he is sovereign over. Why is that important? That's important because every single time a co-worker treats you bad, you must understand he was sovereign over that event. Somebody pulls out in front of you. You go, oh, Jesus, you you wanted that to happen. So how am I supposed to respond to this one, Lord? Oh, yeah, worship you. Hey, man, good to see you. Come on in, no problem. You come into church and the person ignores you. Hey, how are you? They don't even, they just walk by. 
even look at you. Didn't even say hi. You rude, you rude, insensitive, unloving person. What's your problem? What have you forgotten? He's sovereign over all things. Really? Even people mistreating me? You're sitting there studying for your sermon because you want to be a good and, and, and godly pastor, right? And preach the truth and get it right. And you hear kids screaming and yelling at each other. Hey, guys, can you calm down a little bit? Quit, quit hitting each other. Quit calling each other bad names. Please stop it. And it starts again. They're doing it again. How long am I going to have to put up with this disaster of a life? You kids are crazy. Don't you see him crying? Why is he on the ground? Why are you kicking him? What have I forgotten? He's sovereign over all things. All things. We got a new dog this week. Sovereign over all things. <laughs> we'll go get him checked out at the doctor and <laughs> then we'll see if he gets along with our other massive dog that likes to kill everything that comes into the backyard. Except for people. Praise the Lord, right? And the doctor says, well, he's got some, this dog has some kind of fungus or some kind of uh, bacteria or something and you got to give it this medicine seven pills the first day and four the next day and and that bill will be a hundred and fifty dollars and and you look at your kids and and they say, make sure you keep them separated for 10 days. Christ is sovereign over all things. Even that? Yeah. Is it okay? Can we walk through this? Yeah. Will we keep the dog? Christ is sovereign over all things. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Listen, friends, I know as we look out in the, around this world, the, even the professing church looks weak, doesn't it? The rise of liberalism and secularism in the professing church is sad and at times even infuriating, isn't it? 
I've never been so angry at the devil as I was this week. Very angry as I tried to talk to the singles this week about about being single and that they're really not single because they're married to Christ. I, I thought to myself, oh no, our culture and our society and ultimately the devil has undermined this and made this. It's hard to even preach it, that you're married to Christ and you're a man. Why? Because the devil is evil. It's infuriating, isn't it? But Christ is head over all things. Stephen reminded me this yesterday about Acts 21, Paul's trip to Jerusalem. You remember in Acts? As he goes to Acts and he gets there and what's it like when he gets there? You're thinking, okay, this is going to be great. He's going to stand up and preach to all of his fellow Jews and there's going to be this great revival. Instead, they all hate him and they want him dead. And he's, they have to sneak him out by night under the cover of guards to keep him from being killed. At first glance, that looks like a total disaster of a mission movement, right? I mean, that was a missionary endeavor that everybody would say, Failure, right? No. Christ is still sovereign. And Paul still made it out alive. Why? Because Christ is Lord and he's building his church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus is head over his body. And he's over all things. And he's been given to the church to take care of the church. Did you know that Grace Bible Church is going to be an amazing church? As long as Christ wants it to be an amazing church. (laughs) And the moment. And the time. It could be. Did you know? It could go bad. It could. Lord willing, it won't. And we're all seeking Him by faith, aren't we? We're trusting Him to work in us. But it's only as good as the head determines. He's building the church, not us. He is. He works through us to encourage one another. To build his body. We'll see that as we go through Ephesians. He works in us to do great things. But he's ultimately the king. Isn't it funny? Who should be the hero of every church? Let's just lay it out there. Who should be the hero of every church? Say it. Christ should, right? He should. Yet this same church, Revelation chapter 2, states that the church in Ephesus... Though they could nail down their doctrine and put down false doctrine, had lost what? Their first love. Who do you think that is? I think it's Christ. I think they've forgotten their first love of who He is. What He's done. What He's about. 
ministry, the church, it's messy. It is, isn't it? Why is it? Because we still have these competing oppositions going on and we're in this world and it's constantly. The great news is that Christ is winning no matter what. He's still redeeming people. And look at this church. Look at it. It's beautiful. He launches into here at the end what the church is. Look at it. It's beautiful. The church, which is his body, Christ's body. This is his church. This is his bride. This is his body. And it says the fullness of him. The fullness of him. The fullness of who? The fullness of Christ. You know what the church is? The church is the fullness of Christ. What's the fullness of Christ? I think of the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. And what is that? That's the display of God's glory. The fullness, the weightiness of who God is. The church is literally the glory of Christ on display in the world. It's beautiful. That's who we are. We're the display of Christ's glory and God's power in the world. Why do you think the devil hates the church so much? Why do you think he infiltrates it and puts all these false teachers and, and puts people like Joyce Myers and Joel Osteen and says those people come in and, and make it all about them? Why do you think it? Because the church is the fullness, the glory of Christ in the world. And if he can disguise it and defame it and shame the name of Christ and the glory of Christ. That's what the enemy wants to do. Constantly attacking and going at it. Listen, do you understand that much of the world, Satan, he's got them exactly where he wants them. The real attack and the real attack is on the church. But God's church is still the fullness of Christ. It's still that way. Why? Because the Word says it. And why is the church the fullness of Christ? Why is it the fullness of Christ? Notice, because He fills all in all. Because He fills all in all. What's that mean? He fills all in all. Because Christ controls all in all. The word fill can be translated controls. It's the word in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 where he says be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means what? Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. How is the, how is the body, how is the church the fullness of Christ? How, why is it the fullness of Christ? Because Christ fills all in all. He works in all in all. He's working in us. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. For God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Christ is working. And He's filling all in all. He's working in us. In all of us. In all ways. That's good news. 
That's the power of God I need to know. I need to understand that. For if I understand that, my life is totally different. I have this relationship with God that's unbelievable. There is no sin that I can't repent of. I can, by God's grace, kill sin. Because He fills all in all. Now, does He allow us in our flesh to fall down? Yes. But why does He do that? So that He can fill all in all. What? You mean to tell me He allowed me to sin so that He could fill all in all? Yes. Why? Because when we're at the end of ourself, we realize He is all we have. And He's all we live for. If it's true repentance, right? We believe in Him. The One who is sovereign over us. And who works in us. What a passage, right? What do you think? What's really cool about this passage is, beloved, all of what you just heard, Paul's going to then just take and he's going to show how the rest of the book is the fulfillment of that and how that works. The rest of the book. He works in sinners to save them. He works in Jews and Gentiles to make one body. He works in the apostles to found the church and to bring the mystery. He works in us to walk worthy of our calling. He works in us to make us holy. He works in us to make us love. He works in us to make us light. He works in us to walk wisely. He works in us. He works in us. He fills all in all. And He works in us to stand firm in His sovereign power. You think that passage is important? I think it's the the passage that makes walking with Christ possible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. What an amazing passage. What amazing word you have. Thank you for this revelation of your power towards us in Christ. Help us now, Lord, to walk with you, trust you, obey you. Know you more. Keep, keep revealing this great truth to us. May Christ fill us with all of His glory that we may shine forth in this world in a world that aches and groans and anticipates the return of our Master and Lord. We need you, Lord. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray this in His name. Amen.